Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey everyone, welcome to the 263rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Richard Yeagley, Benny Rezikova, and Avery O. Williams. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Craig Zobel on the show. He's a producer and director. He's done shows like American Gods, The Leftovers, Westworld, One Dollar. He did the movie The Hunt, and most recently... He's here to talk to us about his new show, Mayor of Easttown. It's a new HBO mystery crime drama starring Kate Winslet. It's super Heard cool. Of her. Yeah, yeah. She um she was Titanic. in that, that boat if movie. You've seen Titanic. Uh, a yeah. lot of her. I've seen Kate Winslet. Um, and it comes out uh, April 18th. A lot of her. Yeah. So we dig in with him. He's got a really fascinating career. He also, in a weird twist of fate, he's got all of these awesome dramatic pieces under his belt you know he went to school with david gordon green he's part of that crew i nerded out a little bit it's a tiny bit embarrassing and also through a strange occurrence of events he is yeah, the multiverse he is the uh, co-founder of the cult internet website homestarrunner.com so it's a real it's an interview filled with twists and turns. We talked to a, a little bit about his movie The Hunt, which had a decent amount of controversy stirred up and is a pretty bonkers movie. But also we talk mostly about, I think, his roots in kind of these emotional, uh, dramatic stories. It's really great. Yeah. But what's cool about Craig is he, even though he's kind of known for a lot of these great performances and working with these amazing actors, he's done a ton of genre stuff. When I was at Sundance, actually, his movie was there, Z for Zachariah, which is only has three actors in him, but those three actors happen to be Margot Robbie, Chris Pine, and Chiwetel Ejiofor, and uh, it's like this post-apocalyptic movie, so he's done, it. it I mean, it's kind of like a dream job, I think, for you or me, right, which is like genre with, with like amazing actors, and he's done some real comedic things, some real extreme things, his movie Compliance, which was also at Sundance, it's kind of this crazy story so i don't know he has like this kind of awesome career and finding out in this interview that he was also like the production manager on all the real girls is quite crazy he worked on george washington as well but so yeah he's got uh and also a number of his own indie movies as well that we talk about so he's got these great indie roots and we we learn how he kind of built a career leveled up and is doing you know the most prestigious of 
network TV shows now. Yeah. Cable shows now. It's also strangely nice, which like, you know, you would think like at some point, if you've directed my favorite episode of The Leftovers, the one that, that really put Justin Theroux on the map as like this great actor. You're not being facetious. You mean literally your favorite episode of The Leftovers. Yeah. Have you? It, it's a really good episode. It's like, I mean, it's not just mine. Like, I think a lot of people agree that it is, it, it changed the trajectory of that show. And I mean, obviously there's writers and producers and a lot of other people involved in that, but he directed it and it, it, was, it was really good. But he's just like such a nice guy, which... You know, you kind of feel like when you've done all this stuff, and especially you've done Westworld, you worked with Nolan, you've done like these kind of real strong adrenaline pumped episodes of TV, you would think you would maybe have like a big ego or not, but Craig does uh, does not seem to have one. I'll tell you what, I did walk away from that episode in a great mood. You know, it was just like really fun to record that one. So um, hopefully it's as fun to listen to as it was to record. I think it will be, actually. Yeah. Before we talk to Craig, I do want to mention that there's a high chance I will have a kid before the next episode airs. So if you want to uh, send me some diapers or swaddle blankets. Actually, I have a lot of swaddle blankets. Just diapers and uh, wipes, wet wipes, you know. Uh, drop them off in my house in Silver Lake. Just uh, come to Silver Lake to say, does anyone know where Oren lives? And you'll find me. That's another way of saying it might take a minute for your just shoot it hat to get to you in the mail if you <laughs> subscribe to Patreon in the next couple of days uh, since Oren is doing all the fulfillment on that. But if you go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod, you can throw a couple bucks in the coffer and maybe pay for a few diapers or more likely actually just our editor, Sarah, and all of the other overhead that we have to make this show. Yeah, having two kids, a that's a lot of diapers. Gotta, that is a lot sustain, of diapers. Even though one of my kids uh, does not need them, but I think it is a worthy cause to join our Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod. If you give us 10 bucks, uh, we will send you a Just Shoot It Podcast hat. And like I've said many times, there's no better way to indicate to Matt or me that you are cool and to walk onto set wearing that hat. Oh my gosh! I the day that that happens, I will be so stoked. It's not. So it's never happened to you. Happens to me all the time. No, no. I've I've talked to people who, who listen to the show but not have worn a their hat to a set of mine. Yeah. No, that's not happened yet. I've seen. Uh, I've hung out with Carlin, and she's worn that hat before. I've yeah, I've seen her on the street, but she's not on your set. She's on her own set. Well, I kind of consider all of L.A. my set. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, well, listen, before we talk to Craig, there's one other thing worth pointing out. I'm sure you've noticed we've been running ads across all of our episodes, but we are giving away a ton of stuff from Black Magic. And most importantly for this week, we are giving away a Black Magic Pocket 4K camera. And this is going to be baked into the episode. So go to our Instagram and check it out. There'll be an ad that'll clarify things a little bit more later. But if you're listening at home uh, too late, once upon a time, we gave away a black magic camera. It was pretty neat. Yeah. And I'd say the odds of winning are pretty high, right? Like uh, They're not bad. Yeah. Certainly entering for free is worthwhile. There's a handful of different ways to up your chances, but like odds are good. It is worth it for sure. For sure. Yeah. So check it out. It's an awesome camera. Black magic pocket 4K that you can have for absolutely free yeah. if you win it through our contest Oren, if i was to say to you you could play one round of roulette for free and if you hit you would win a a black magic camera would you enter well yeah of course i would i think our odds are slightly worse than that <laughs> 
but not that much worse. Only slightly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So check it out. Uh, go to our Instagram, Instagram.com slash DistributedPod, and look for the Black Magic Post, the most recent one, and we'll have all the giveaway details in there. If you want a, a more amped up, hyped up version of this explanation, stay tuned because I think an ad is going to start right now. Awesome. We'll see. Maybe not. And here anyway. we go with either an ad or Craig Zobel. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, Craig, you're someone that I think we've... I think I was actually at Sundance when Z for Zachariah came out. And so I, I think you've you've done so many things that we've all heard of, and we'd love to kind of hear where where it all started. You grew up in Georgia, and then what happened? I mean, first of all, thank you. It's flattering to think that people have heard of me. <laughs> um, I I grew up in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I went to school in Winston Salem, North Carolina, for film and television, and uh, yeah, that's kind of the origin, I guess, of everything. I um. So you have like a bachelor's in film. Yes, that's right. Bachelor's. So you knew you wanted to kind of do like write and direct. My my mom and dad owned a company that my dad was a lighting designer, but for television. So it was like mostly living in Atlanta, like it was like the early days of Turner things. So it was like he did some early like sets for like CNN and then he did like the weather channel, you know, like... (laughs) things like that and he was also a lighting designer he was kind of like a televangelist lighting designer so it's like if you were a if you wanted to get into televangelism you called my dad to like be like what 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 lights do i buy so i kind of had kind of like seen enough of the universe to be like "Ooh, i like that that's cool and um yeah that's how i ended that's up. cool so he worked in tv and tv yeah um, <laughs> yeah i mean so was he practicing at home? Like he would just hang up like a bunch of uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, in the living room. Light, oh my gosh, our Halloweens were like really dope. Yeah, yeah, he would I light, bet. I light bet. the heck out of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so did you um, when you first realized like, oh, you want to make film, you want to be a storyteller? Were you drawn towards these kind of drop like thriller, not thriller, but like you know, heavy drama with like a little bit of you know, plottiness to them on top of it, right? Like there's a there's a layer of of genre to it, but like at the heart of both Z for Zachariah and also the mayor of Easton, Easttown, pardon me. You know, it's like a 
it's gritty maybe is the word i'm looking for yeah i I think i wanted to make dramas like i was excited about that and and it was only kind of later once i started doing things and really compliance was was how i started being like i enjoy the rules of genre and the kind of like the things that you have to do in genre and and I, i set you up a little bit craig because if we go back to what i would think of as the the true origin story of Craig Zobel it starts with a little website called Homestar Runner yes Homestar which Runner which is kind of the the polar opposite i think of these kind of prestige you know uh, <laughs> dramas right For sure. yeah no Homestar Runner was uh, you know that all started like that like because of my dad uh he was a lighting designer he when the Atlanta Olympics happened he got hired to do a bunch of other com- companies like Olympic sets so like he needed a lot of hands and it was like my first year of college and and uh i got hired and then like two of my buddies we got hired to hang lights for like the australian television network thing with my dad and so we were just together like almost every day and we ended up you know kicking around a bunch of ideas and ended up like at one point going to a a uh, a bookstore in the mall we were like literally at the like novelty of like when was the last time you went to a mall <laughs> and we went into the bookstore and somehow found our way to the children's aisle and then somehow thought it was a good idea to like try to make our own children's book because all of them sucked that we we saw in there and um so we made this little thing that we just we went to kinko's and like made this like you know homemade book and uh gave it to our friends and it just became kind of this called homestar runner uh, and it just became a thing that we bounced around. And then at some point, you know, after college, we'd all graduated and Mike had been a photo design major and was kind of like, I think I need to like, I don't know that I'm going to like do this for the rest of my life. So he, he like Adobe had made this Adobe company had made this like thing called flash which nobody really really knew it was and he was like let's learn how to use this and like in order to teach ourselves the program we started using homestar as the sort of basis and it turned into you know the like early cartoons and and all of a sudden one day you know a hundred people watched it and we're like we didn't give it to a hundred people how did that happen (laughs) And then a couple of years later, you know, it was like, it was certainly one of the early sort of web cartoons that, you know, pe- people found. And, and Matt, and, Matt and Mike, you know, d- did it for, for years. Every week they would turn out a three and a half minute cartoon. Um, at some point I like was like, well, I kind of want to explore live action things. And I, and I moved to New York. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was sort of the the... the in a way, the origin. And, and what was cool about it was that as the site became, you know, first of all, just the site blew up to the degree that I remember being in New York and seeing somebody on the subway with a Homestar Runner tattoo and mm-hmm. was like, Whoa, wow, a somebody tattoo. got my friend's weird animal character tattooed on their yeah. body forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say anything to that person? No. <laughs> yeah. No. It was New York. It was. It didn't feel like a thing that you should Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, when I see someone with a Just Shoot It hat, and I'm like, hey, I'm the guy from Just Shoot It. And they're like, oh, I just got this at the thrift yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah. He's on the floor. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, exactly. I guess yeah, no a worries. little worried about that. Yeah, like, cool, cool. I don't remember. I was drunk when I got this tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I worked as a production manager and as a um, first AD, second AD, and then a first AD for several years before I was a 
and I was writing the whole time. And, like um, on narrative stuff, like on mm-hmm. shorts and features. Yeah, yeah I, 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 David Gordon Green. I like worked on kind of all of his early movies. He's oh, that's my, awesome! That's yeah, awesome. From Wait, college, did you, like, we knew each other oh. from from college. Oh, right, right, that yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. So, so um, wait, did you work on like all the real girls? Yeah. I Dude, I love that movie. Picture. I yeah. love that movie so much. I was oh, wow. a, I was a co-producer on uh, on uh, George Washington. Yeah. Cool. So, like, Where's your Criterion? It's, it's you got to have a copy <laughs> floating around, right? Just like behind me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, I'm giving you a hard time, but but I I think it is interesting to think about you know because Oren and I both started you know making internet content, and I think probably a lot of listeners now who are younger like it seems obvious of course that's where you start you know you kind of cut your teeth that way like it seems like the there's no alternative right but i think it is very fascinating to to see your trajectory right because and i guess it was relatively quick that you go from absurdist cartoons into heavy drama pieces but like it just goes to show that just cutting your teeth is worth doing even if it's not specifically what you're necessarily destined to make in the end do you know what i mean like did you ever have a moment where you were like oh i'm making cartoons but i want to make dramas you know did you have that moment or were you not worried about it too much i probably did i don't 100 percent remember but i but i also think that you know you don't really know you should just make the thing that you're excited to make at the time i don't know like i don't think that anybody should be trying to design like what their style is or like what their like thing is you know what i mean yeah that, do not find your voice <laughs> yeah. Well, so you never. find it by making things, right? Exactly. Yeah. And your exactly. your voice is like this. <laughs> Sorry. But Sorry. I, I imagine you like <laughs> writing Homestar Runner too. Obviously, you're you're learning a lot about you're you're getting this kind of instant feedback, right? People yeah, reacting, sure. what's funny, what doesn't work, like what patterns are interesting, the like you know. Yeah. Like uh, no, absolutely. And there's just some like amount of confidence you get by like being like, wow, look. We made a thing for ourselves that other people actually think is interesting. Pe- people you know? like it. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, we, we don't have to belabor the Homestar situation. I just, I, I, I had to get it out early because I'd be thinking about it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but so now you're working with for David Gordon Green. And are you like, look at this. If this guy can do it, I could surely do this. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like we went to school together. So it was kind of tandem. Like actually, Matt Chapman... The voice of Strong Bad is in all the real girls. He's one of the guys sitting around the fire in like a couple of scenes. So like all of us were hanging out together at the same time, really, you know. Uh, and I know that like, you know, they're still they still talk and have projects going on together and stuff even now. So it, it, it was sort of just like the cool thing about about going to school in North Carolina was that it wasn't. I was the third graduating class of that school at the time. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I was gonna say there, that's like that. There's that early crop that kind of everybody kind of made their name, and then it, it sort of exploded from there, right? Yeah, I mean, I it was just a thing where it was like I think really like what happened was that a bunch of us wanted to help each other because we there was no competition. There wasn't a vibe of competition that I kind of see and I and I ended up like teaching at a school in New York for a while and like I've seen kind of some of that and that just didn't exist there because like we had no hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh and there was nothing to do it was just like the only thing to do was really um go watch movies that you had to watch you know for school so everybody was friends and kind of everybody for instance david wingo who did the music in um 
the he was the composer of Great World of Sound, my first movie, is like one of David Green's best friends. And you know, like we all kind of like became friends with our friend groups and stuff, which is the reason to go to film school. I don't know another reason. You can learn all of the other parts by yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crippling debt. Yeah, that's the, no, other, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when you're working on like all the real girls and all and I think like his movies are kind of known for these super like naturalistic performances and things like are you picking stuff up like is like again i guess i'm curious now that i i didn't realize you you worked in different capacity like how much are you influenced in your work moving forward because you kind of have i think you're you're known for your, your performances as well and i wonder how much of that you picked up from that other experience i i mean i think probably a lot um it it was it really was in that way kind of a weird school of like you know it's like we all liked the same seventies movies <laughs> you know truthfully so I I think a lot and I definitely learned a lot look I mean being an AD or just working in the AD department if I know some of your listeners aren't you know people who are uh, already directing things or something like I I, I actually think that that you touch all of the departments if you want to learn how to direct something it's actually is a really good it's not an AD doesn't mean that you're a good D necessarily if you're a good AD, but like being in that department and being around that, you just get to hear like, Oh, the props person is freaking out. Why is the props person freaking out? Oh, they're freaking out because like unbeknownst to me, like in order to do this or that thing, they have to kind of prep all of this other stuff or, you know, the wardrobe person like needs to know about this or this or this thing. And like, you just kind of learn, I don't know. I felt like, I learned a lot about how the sausage got made in a real way from doing that. Yeah, I love that. It's funny because I feel like we certainly talk to a lot of different directors who come up from different directions. So like there's a lot of editors, you know, like a handful of DPs and stuff. But I think you're the first person to advocate for learning as an AD. And I like it very much because it's it's something where you know, you, if you have a logistical head, but you like to be on set and being on set is important to you, you know, and like, like you said, learning how the sausage is made is part of that. I feel like there are a lot of other departments that maybe don't have as global of a perspective, basically. You for know? sure. For sure. I think if you want to be a producer in a sort of sense, you must, must spend time in the AD department to really kind of like really kind of understand what that job is but i as a director i i I just the practical upshoot of it is that you learn things like going like hey i want to do this thing but i know that it's going to be complicated for this department that i don't know that everybody thinks about you know it's like this is going to suck for like transpo if we do this thing because like they're going to have to figure out how to get everybody from this place to that like you you just kind of have some sense of like well how how can i get all of the things that i want to have happen today which as a director is you you know you're pretty selfishly like what i want to have happen is what's important (laughs) yeah yeah i do (laughs) like how do you figure that out how do you figure that out yeah 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 like seeing the dominoes doesn't mean that you don't decide to not tip them over right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) sure Sure. but like it's not it's good to kind of know like what you're asking in a way and like that that like leads to less like frustration and like foot stomping about like you know anything like because you just sort of know okay well this is a pretty complicated stunt that i'm asking everybody to do we should probably assume that this is going to take four hours and not you know not scream and yell at about it, you know. 
But I'm assuming the opposite is also true, right? Like if you are asking for something like, hey, we should, let's get, you know, all our extras to do this, like start here, go over here, and then this car should come over here. And then the AD says, well, that's impossible and that's not safe and that's this and that. And you're like, well, I've done it (laughs) multiple times, you know? Like a for sure. You know, I mean, you don't insight. ever want to like be in that kind of antagonistic relationship with your AD. <laughs> I would hope, but like it certainly helps have that that conversation because the the really the trinity of the like AD, the the DP, and the director, they all have to kind of be like if you're on a set where those two of those three people are fighting with each other. <laughs> it's just a bummer. So you'd mentioned that Homestar Runner was something that had enabled you to do your first feature. How did that happen? Oh, uh, right. So, you know, Homestar got popular um, and, and it was always free. I mean, it still is free. It's the same as it always has been. It was a time period where like people were trying to get you to like subscribe to get to watch like a web cartoon and stuff, which just surpri- no surprise didn't catch on. So we didn't try to do that at all. We just made it free. And then we started selling t-shirts and stuff. And, you know, I, at the point that, that it was all clicking forward and, and really like kind of burgeoning around 2000, 2001, those guys were doing the whole thing. And I was, you know, I was in New York, so I was very marginal in the whole thing. But uh, but my little tiny piece of the pie helped me be able to make Grey World of Sound, which was, was a movie I'd been writing for a very long time and had been an AD. And I actually had been, I was in a specific... I was offered a job to kind of move up and become a, I wasn't in the union, um, which at that time was easier to kind of work and not be in the union in New York when I think it is now. You mean as an AD, you weren't in the union? As an AD, sorry. Yeah, as an AD. So I, I was a non-union AD, but I had like the, the call sheets to like become a union guy if I wanted to and was starting to get offered those jobs. And I remember like one of those where I was like, man, if I take this, then I'm just an AD. And I was like, I'm going to not do this and I'm going to see if I can make a movie with the small amount of money that I have. And, uh, and, and I just kind of begged everyone I knew to, uh, to, you know, work for peanuts and, and, um, and I had, got to know a lot of good people over the years because I had been an AD. So it was like, hey, what are, what are you doing, sound mixer? What are you doing? You know, like so on, right. so on and so forth. I'm curious, but at this point, you already had, you know, worked on some bigger movies, some kind of indie darlings, some other things. What, did you ever think like, oh, maybe I, I can bring this to a production company in a studio or get it made on a bigger scale since you knew all these people? Yeah, I didn't feel like I knew who to call to give me money i think i maybe kind of toyed with that but that just didn't feel like that was actually gonna happen like that feel like a that felt like the kind of thing that you say to yourself that's what i need to do but like it was i was kind of at a true crossroads where it was like do i want to be an ad or do i want to direct things and like wanting to direct things i think overrode the patience that i would have had to have to to see if this person was down to give me money and have them say no after like six months or a year. I just didn't want to do that. I'd watched all of my friends do that and it just looked painful and terrible. And Yeah. And slow, most importantly. Just slow. Well, right. Yeah. Like you've realized you're at a crossroads. You don't want to sit this at that. This is the thing that I want yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the worst thing would be to like, be like, okay, I want to be a director. I don't want to be an AD. I'll send this to an agent 
and then they'll get back to me in six months and I could have taken that AD job and I just sat in my apartment sad for six months waiting for them to say no. Right. 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 I mean, it is that weird kind of conservation of energy that I think you guys have talked about on your show before, like just in terms of like, you're always trying to figure out how do you get move your thing forward while also just working in order to pay the rent. And it was like I had made the choice to stop working and stop paying rent. That, <laughs> paying rent. Yeah, stop yeah. that part. You know, like I was yeah. like, okay, this is the time that you have to jump in order to do it. And I could have had better resources, I'm sure, had I done it a different way. But I was just like, I think I can. I think I just felt really strong about the idea um, for the the movie, and I and I was able to convince enough people to kind of like want to want to do it and you know like my hopes for that whole thing was very simple it was just like if we got into sundance then it would be a dream come true i don't care about anything other than that you know and it's like it did so that was fun yeah it turns yeah. out you cared about more things than that and then all of a sudden it's like actually if it gets distribution i care you know and then it's like and then if it gets you know whatever like if it's well reviewed and i actually like kind of did have an emotional crash after that movie because i hadn't really set myself up for anything other than just like doing one movie and so like after it and it was you know i, I want to a. a a Gotham award for breakthrough director for it, which was like, and we got to be in new directors, new films at the MoMA. I was like, I, I did everything I wanted, sure. yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. I like didn't kind of know what to do after that. And was wildly depressed for several years. And this is your first movie great world of sound. We're talking about. Correct. Great world. Yeah. Of sound. I, I, I first love movie that, gets into Sundance, but, but, but the, the, to me, the thing of like, Oh, I did it. My dreams have come true. Now what? I think is a thing that a lot of people have to deal with, right? Where you, especially you grow up thinking like, oh, if I made it to Sundance, that would be it. Or, or whatever that kind of like funny sort of niche goal is, you know, like it's a thing your parents don't understand or whatever. Like I, I, I in college, I really just wanted to get a music video on like MTV 2s indie rock late night block. Right. And when I did, I was like, well, what, what now? I hadn't thought past it, right? And that's a, obviously a much smaller goal than, you know, premiering at Sundance. But still, it's just the same sort of thing of like, you're, you don't realize when you're young that that's kind of just like step one, right? The, you're at the, you're at the I, end no, of the I, beginning. No, I, I really right? fell off a cliff. It was, it was quite a like emotional time. And I wrote like things that like... You know, I couldn't put together for one reason or another. I also like right after, right after my Sundance, there was when the Writers Guild strike happened, which was it sort of like kind of stopped the industry for a while. Um, I feel so bad for the people that were like went to Sundance twenty twenty because like I know I know their pain, you know, which is like the momentum. It's hard to like regain the momentum in a way. Did you get like repped and kind of? meetings and yeah all that i stuff. did i got i got an agent out of all of that and did you stay in new york i did yeah um and 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 but it was like well actually i went back to georgia for a little bit um around that time i was real i was real like not sure that i knew what i was kind of doing and i had written like some things that i've looked back on and were like these were fine these were good stories but i just I, I was very kind of like, that's not good enough and kind of threw away a lot of, of, of work that I did. 
And I was involved in this thing called No Borders, which is done by the IFP, now the Gotham organization in New York. And I had this script that was all about, um, it was like a series of crime stories that was in uh, West Virginia that everybody was like, nobody wants to, like, what is the opioid crisis? Nobody wants to talk about this. Like, they literally, it was like, that just will a never be interesting. Early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just too early. Yeah. And um, I couldn't get anybody interested in this. I I had gone, like, my, like, soul searching had, like, at, at some point I had, like, spent, like, two months in a nunnery in, like, southwestern West Virginia, you know, like, meeting people. I didn't even know they let men in there. Well, it was like, that was the only place, there wasn't any hotels, so it was like the only place that you could possibly, like, rent a room at all. And I had, like, done, I I thought, you know, like, looking back, that was a pretty cool script, but I just sort of, I I wasn't getting traction with it and felt pretty, like, bummed out. And, And I met, you know, some producers that were like, hey, we're not, that doesn't sound right for us, but we're looking for, if you have any sort of a thriller idea, we want a thriller. And I was like, well, I've been writing just to because I'm sort of curious about it. I've been sort of toying with this idea. And I sort of explained the real life scenario in which compliance was originally based on. And I had just read about this. It was a true story. Um, and, uh, and I was kind of like, in my brain, I'd always been like, how, how did that happen? <laughs> what did those people say to each other so i kind of pitched it to him and he's like that sounds great like if you want to do that we would totally you know fund that and it was like all of a sudden there was a ticking clock on like getting this guy a script that i don't think i probably could have gotten out of my depression and i also don't think i would have been ballsy enough to make that movie had i not been like in a place where it was like well, this is going to be an art project. And then after that, I'll just go be a graphic designer or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like maybe right. Matt Chapman and Mike Chapman will have me back. But that's sort of how I made compliance. Was And the, this was, person that told you they wanted a thriller, did they say, here's like an advance or here's some money to go write it? Or was it just like, oh, that sounds interesting. Go write it. Oh, no. I was like, I, I, I think that I sh- by the time I was done with compliance, I was about like $35,000 in credit card debt just because i just didn't have a job but i did you know i would get weird kind of jobs here and there like i i did i was the field producer on an hgtv show for a little while <laughs> like i did little things you know here and there but um, i think that's worth pointing out as well though it's like there's that feeling of like well i just i just made a movie and i went to sundance and stuff like i should be rich oh i guess i should take this field producing job at hgtv and that's okay do you know what I mean? I think it's kind of that's the premise of the show is like, you know, you, you have to survive somehow. Right. So like there's a lot of things that we gloss over that you don't bring up in interviews that are like, no, this is how I survived while I was making these other things. You know, there's no correlation between like number of deadline article mentions and <laughs> sure. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, Zero. Yeah, totally. Zero correlation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm looking at some random website called the numbers dot com. And it says that compliance, the production budget was $270,000. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think it was, I, I mean, I want to say it was maybe a little more than that. It was probably like 300000 So again, I didn't, I didn't, I went from like $84,000 for the first movie to like $300,000 for the second movie. Not a lot of money. And now, I mean, all of that was like, you know, Great World of Sound for the amount of money that that was like, was pre-HD video camera. What did you shoot that on? On film? Well, we shot some on video because there's this like documentary kind of element that we shot. It's about like a music music producer. So you can get it on Amazon Prime. It's 
about these guys who are music producers that like basically work for like a shady record company where like people come in they put an ad in the newspaper and say like record company come to your town one weekend only do you have what it takes to be famous and then like that's how rebecca black got her start right friday style right exactly and and but it's like obviously it's like mostly it's like you come in and it's like Oren, I'm not gonna lie, I have heard some really good people today, but I think you really have what it takes. You know, you really have it. Your demo is not great, and we're gonna have to redo that, and that's gonna cost some money. You know, a couple thousand dollars. But once we do that, it's gonna be a real hit. And so we shot all of the times where there were actual with actual people coming. We put real ads in the newspaper and had real people come in and talk to our our actors, and had our actors like sell them. Until at some point, like the actors, would like be with like, a hidden camera, or you yeah, just had people, cam- yeah, with hidden cameras. Oh wow, yeah, and That's and nice. and so, but we, but it was done in a way where we built a set, and obviously, as in terms of like, at some point, we would stop and be like, "Don't ever answer these ads again." Here, come backstage. Look, there's all these hidden cameras. Do you want to keep going? Do you want to still be a part of this movie? And they're um, like, "Oh, a movie? Yes, I do." <laughs> <laughs> so that stuff we shot on video, but most of it we shot on sixteen millimeter film because that was what you would do. That, that's that what a, a real movie looked like back yeah. then. Yeah, wild. And Pat Healy was in that, which is kind of like the easy way into Sundance, right? You just put him in your movie. Well, I mean, I want to say that maybe it was one of the first movies that hey, he went to. There you go. You're paving the way. And then, so for compliance, was it hard to get like Ann Dowd? And was Dreama Walker had she done much before then? Was that this kind no, of a breakout? Anne was Anne was was kind of famous in the theater world in New York, but hadn't been on too much film and television stuff. And and Dreama the same. Pretty much every yeah, everybody in that was were just great New York actors. So well, awesome. I want to. I th- feel like we could dissect your early career for three or four more episodes, but I think we should fast forward to your current show, Mayor of Easttown, right? Because I, I did want to talk a little bit about. You did a ton of episodes on this show. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your approach to the something like this big. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of episodes that you're dealing with, and you were also producing director on these as well so like you kind of it's it's a whole season of television basically that you're kind of keeping tabs on right talk to us just a little bit about like your initial approach like how do you tackle something this big yeah well it's kind of interesting you know i i had actually done so mary beast town is like seven episodes and before that i had done this show that's on paramount plus called one dollar which i did all of the episodes all 10 episodes it's a crazy thing to do i wouldn't really advise that it's a good idea but uh i i sort of i did it once and that's sort of how i ended up being the guy that did it again um now maybe after doing it twice i feel kind of confident that i like know how to do it but um but um it is a it's kind of a bonkers thing to do you know tv is different than film in a just a million ways it's also very much the same thing but the trick with this one was mary Town is is about marion sheehan who is this police officer in the what they call the collar counties around um philadelphia and kate winslet she was the most famous high schooler <laughs> like she like did she got the shot in the basketball game that everybody remembers but then after that her life has kind of been shit and she gets involved in a, a murder investigation so it's essentially an HBO murder mystery, but it also has this kind of real like naturalistic human drama to it. The truth of the matter is the genre part was the hardest thing to do out of order over the course of seven episodes with a pandemic in the middle pausing you for a while. It was just like, wait, 
when does the audience know that that thing happened? Like, <laughs> wait, so you started shooting pre-COVID and then you kept shooting during COVID? We 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 went down, um, you know, on on March thirteenth, uh, and then and then in around September we went back to work. So we were an early kind of TV show to go back. Yeah, so it was it was it was wild. And it's based on an exist. Is it based on a book? Or it's actually. I appreciate you saying that because it, the goal is to try to make it feel like it's based on a book. It's totally it's original. It's funny, yeah. It, it does genuinely feel like it's it's based on a book. Yeah. Yeah. And is it, does it, I, I saw the first two episodes, uh, which I really enjoyed. And I the second episode, I finished at like 1 a.m. last night. And I was like, should I keep going? Because <laughs> the end, you know, it's like a mystery thriller sure you want to know what every episode something happens and you really need to see the next episode i i couldn't quite tell is there does it take place now that's interesting you said that uh yeah it takes place now those areas are like you know like unique places and so like those areas you know it's not supposed to be period um it is it is contemporary but when we went into all the locations that we wanted to go to we were like oh this is not what i expected and and you know there's layers of history right like there's like it's like oh this place was decorated you know in like 1988 and then they like got that new couch in like 2004 and then like that and then Pel- they were good the peloton yeah. over yeah, there yeah, you know sure. they clearly yeah, yeah. got the other day or whatever yeah right it does have a a kind of timeless quality to it and i i'm only asking because like uh i know like a movie like nomadland is based on a book which take place a few years ago so even though it kind of feels contemporary it's a little older and but it if you're making a show now like my friend works on the connors you know the uh, x roseanne show and it is fully 100 percent aware of covid you know it, it takes place in a world where covid exists um, we we had this big debate yeah we had this big debate i mean we were shooting out of order we were we were cross-boarding the entire series uh like so we didn't have like one and two episode one finished or something like we had parts of one parts of seven parts of four part, you know we had like parts of everything so for us it felt kind of dangerous to like try to like incorporate covid into it just simply because you know of of the way we had started the process that was what also why it was like really important for me to like get it out soon so that it didn't feel like weird in a, in a post-covid well but well, if the intent is to make it feel like it's kind of based on a book then you kind of have to you don't even have to worry about that well and it, i feel like the shelf life also is different too right like i think you know especially now that there's these streaming services and stuff an hbo show you can discover two years later right and if it's like rooted in such a speci- specific moment in time then the question is not, oh, is the story good? It's like, oh, do I want to revisit that part of my life again? And in the case of COVID, the answer is most likely no, <laughs> you know? So Right, yeah. yeah, right. It's like nobody wanted to watch a 9-11 movie forever. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, they kept trying to make them, and it was always like, yeah. It was like, oh, are we, <laughs> we going to do this? I guess so. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you like, had mentioned earlier kind of the rules of genre and you know, there's, I think of The Killing, like when I see your show, which is like, I was like a huge fan of and really reminded me of that same feeling with like some red herrings and some twists and turns and things like that. Like what, what in your mind are some of the rules of this genre that keep people glued to the TV, you know, like, like what, what's your, 
How do you think about that? I think I constantly think about whether or not the audience should be ahead of the characters in this or that scene or whether the audience should be behind the characters in this or that scene. And you think it's obvious from the writing, but there's sometimes where you're like, well, like, I think we were constantly on set, like still like, no, 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 this is actually suspense. Like they should know. Or no, 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 this is actually surprise. Like they shouldn't know this beat. I, I feel like that's the, and I mean, only time will tell whether or not we got it right. <laughs> like, I think that we made good choices, but like, you know, that's that's really a thing that you have to wait until people start watching the show and, and tell you. But but that's always, for me, it's just like, is the audience ahead in this beat or is the audience behind in this beat? And, well, and even with a the mystery, there's also that, that tricky thing of like being mysterious versus being unclear, right? Oh, you, you nailed it, Matt. I mean, that is the problem. Like, the problem is when you think you're being like cool and sneaky and actually everyone's like what's happening like huh i don't get it let's see what else is on yeah, yeah. well also right, there's exactly. this there's this thing that's very specific to these like murder mysteries which is that you are setting up a lot of uh, potential suspects right um like even in the scene you know before the the crime happens I'm sure like your lensing, the music, the editing, like what insert shot you decide to stay on for an extra second is important to remind the audience, well, this guy was looking at her in a weird way. And this girl had had this planned and this, you know, adult had, you know, told her not to do something and like how, how you balance the I the, I was about to say the edit is where all the stuff happens though. Like I found that it's funny because like you can have a million, the screenplay is going to have a million like guide posts. Like there was absolutely things that we shot two ways, like where we shot where it's like, be suspicious, be totally innocent, you know, like in terms of the performance of the actors, you know, and then the actors and, all knew, they knew who did it from this, the first day, like kind of, it wasn't like a who like in the scream movies or something. They right, like, just not don't give away. People. Yeah, I mean, I've I've worked in scenarios that are kind of like that before. I I always feel a little bit like, well, I trust that they're good actors and they'll like giving them as much ammunition as possible is useful. <laughs> so I wanted to tell everybody, you know, working on it, it just helps, you know, the whole thing. Like it's like everybody is like. Well, if we want to mislead people in this way, maybe this prop should be used, or maybe they should be wearing this, or should they should they be sweaty here, or whatever. You know, like it helps everybody. Did you have any kind of guiding principles in terms of you know while you're on set, drawing out suspense or directing people in a certain way, or like any sort of craft oriented thoughts on that? Like, oh, do we shoot the bad guy with this lens, or or anything like that, or? Uh, you know, it, it was this was a funny one in that, like, I would say that in the past I would maybe have done that sort of thing. I was absolutely chasing a very traditional, naturalistic -y kind of vibe here because I had just done The Hunt, which is like a satire and it's pretty weird and has like crazy camera moves like every two seconds. And I'm really proud of that movie and feel like it's fun, but I wanted to just kind of do... Like, this was an opportunity to sort of do something more naturalistic. So I actually, like, withheld the desire to kind of, like, really, like, lean into, like, the, the like, well, if we put it on a, like, you know, wide lens and put it right next to their face, like, they're going to be totally suspicious. We do it a couple of times, but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like... But you, yeah, that, that's so funny, though. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you reminded me that you did that movie. 
because like to go from from the hunt to to an HBO prestige mystery drama like one thing is like, seems like per- the craziest move yeah. to make yeah 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 well done <laughs> well done hat, yeah. hat tip in terms of like how you covered a scene in there you said you know you're kind of going for something really naturalistic but I noticed just watching uh, like the first couple episodes that you you're really good at kind of like uh, showing depth with the camera um, but still in a naturalistic way like there's a scene where Kate Winslet is is with another character and they're walking out the door but you shoot the scene the end of the scene through the door like through the window and the door you know or like if she's in a store you might kind of put the camera really far away and we see some shelves in the foreground I mean it's you know it, it, n- nothing that I haven't seen before but there there does feel like kind of um an observation like like maybe someone's looking from afar at these characters and like a little voyeurism to it right yeah yeah yeah. it's funny like i actually like it becomes into like the philosophy of lenses which i don't know how much you guys talk about this kind of weird stuff on this dig in let's do it let's do it it. yeah give us some numbers i feel like telephoto lenses naturally feel dramatic (laughs) like just naturally like you feel like kind of like they just feel more serious or i don't know like i i my association with the look from a long lens is like more serious so like if i want to have a person head to toe in the frame but i want it to feel serious i would rather walk all the way across the street and into the other parking lot and shoot it on a 200 millimeter lens it just feels different. It's different than if it's a wide angle lens in the same, the same head to toe like frame, but with a wide angle lens just as a different story. It's, it's, it's wide angle lenses for me are like more, it's reductive to say that they're comedy, but they're like more like, they're definitely more action oriented, I think, and more kind of exaggerated even. Exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Well, what about like establishing shots, especially when, you know, you, I think most of, the work you've done kind of takes place in like, like in these specific landscapes or worlds or small towns or wherever it is, and you want to feel that. How does that? Yeah, I guess you know. I mean, the best the best way to get the best establishing shots I've learned <laughs> is to not do them myself, but to like send a bunch of send the like the operator or whoever is the cool you know, camera person on yeah. set that the hungriest person. Yeah. 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 And yeah, just give totally. them a lot of photographs and be like, this is the type of, you know, William Eggleston photograph that I like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go That's find really this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. Uh, do you ever, are you ever like, ah, oh, dang, I wish that we had our characters walking into that house or, or walking out or something like that. You know, do you ever feel like you wish it was a little bit more connected or is it always like, Oh, these tableaus do so much for it. That's a funny question. I mean, I think the mayor of Easttown has been the a first time that I've like maybe had those kind of conversations, and it's that my collaborators like sort of like that more, so I tried to kind of embrace that like i I hate an establishing shot of a like this is the house now we cut inside the house that feels very like eighties t v yeah yeah, yeah, it's always I think a full house, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> But but the the reason but there's that there's kind of a usefulness to it. I'm sort of growing to appreciate why and where you use that. Sure. Well, and I think on a show like yours, there is that that kind of dance that you have to deal with. And maybe HBO is is less of a problem where, you know, you, if you're dealing with rigid run times, right, and you're trying to get as much 
comedy in there or as much lyrical like establishing mood or tone like you want to let things breathe sometimes it's nice to be able to marry those but like the tricky thing with like having somebody to go shoot those shots separate from the scene work is that then in order to kind of squeeze it in there sometimes you do end up with that sort of like laugh track feeling pre-lap into the scene you know if yeah. you can have that person like have a slider dolly or something like while they're doing it, so there's some movement in it, that's always useful. <laughs> yeah, but also like I think if I remember correctly, like the opening, the few opening shots of Mayor of Easttown are like a yeah, not like a house, but they are kind the of the feeling of yeah, the yeah. town. Yeah. yeah, yeah, those are exactly what I just described. A, per- a person going out on their own, you know, and getting up at four in the morning so they can get the sunrise and all of that kind of thing while we're like churning away, making the, making the TV show. I mean, that's a very TV show thing. Like if you're making your first movie, I would encourage everybody to go out and be the director of that thing. But you know, of things that you can give up and say like, go find me cool stuff. These are, here's 200, here's a Pinterest page with 200 William Eggleston photos that I like. (laughs) Have fun. Well, my, my last question about Mare, and then we can go on, uh, is when you are doing a pretty good budget TV show for HBO and you have a dead body, is uh, the actor playing the dead body or do uh, you just like have some, uh, some that is a lab great, technician? You, it? that, it's a wonderful question. There was a dead body that was made, looked terrible. And we just said, we're not going to use the dead body. And then, like, you know, in the scenario in which the dead body exists in that show, not to give anything away, but it's an exterior location, right? And and it's, like, the winter. It's pretty bright, too. You know, there's not a ton to hide behind. Then all yeah. of a sudden, you know that there's going to be a dead body outside in a bright scenario. You don't want to use the, the bad, bad, bad-looking dummy. So what do you do? You build part of the outside set inside and you you comp things in and do like visual effects and it's that was a crazy thing and like you like figure out how to how to kind of do it with visual effects and prosthetic effects which was a a new one for me i'd never done you know i was quite inspired by seeing the behind the scenes for parasite Mm -hmm, (laughs) sure Wait, yeah, yeah. all of the things in that house are just like made up? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's like, not real? Yeah, yeah. Like, just what? just for people who haven't seen that video, like there's a, there's a handful of really great behind the scenes videos where you realize that most of Parasite is a VFX shot, but it's all relatively invisible. It's like sky replacements. That house doesn't really exist. It's like, you know, they're comping all. Everything's a comp shot, basically. Um, yeah, like yeah. hundreds and hundreds yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. The majority of the movie has a VFX shot in every frame, basically. Yeah, it has to be 70% of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, this is the guy that made Snowpiercer, so I guess it's not that surprising. But it is surprising when you see the movie. When you're like, you oh, this think... is just a shot of a house. Yeah, but like nothing is like a train at the end of the world. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, It's yeah. like it's just a house. <laughs> yeah. You know? like So like yeah. we kind of did some things on Mare, which were like me being pushed out of my comfort zone in the visual effects world of being like, oh, you can do some things like this in visual effects. And... I haven't seen Z for Zechariah, but isn't that's like a post-apocalyptic, right? Like it's three yeah, people. But it has like alone. maybe like four or five effects shots. I mean, there's not much really? visual effects in that movie. How did no. you portray emptiness like the empty world? 
just, just made sure that there was no one in the frame. <laughs> <laughs> you said, excuse me. Can you, yeah. can you, can you move your Peloton out of the mic, yeah. out of the shot? Thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I do, since you brought up Hunt, I think it is worth talking about a little bit. Um, because that was a movie that was like pretty controversial, right? Like it kind of like they were maybe going to release it theatrically and then they decided not to. Can you kind of refresh my memory on like the seesaw back and forth of the story of that film? Just real quick. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's it's kind of it's based on that old story, The Most Dangerous Game, essentially, which is, you know, like people hunting people. It came out of like me doing The Leftovers with Damon Lindelof and Nick Hughes. After doing that, we had so much fun working on The Leftovers together that they were like, they kind of wrote it with as a like, hey, like, you know, let's write this thing as like a a Blumhouse type movie, like The Purge, <laughs> and and see if and have Craig do it. And so, and I was like, I'm game, let's do it. And so, so the premise is essentially a people hunting people movie, but it has kind of like a QAnon kind of element to it. And it's all about sort of like a bunch of very rich sort of liberal elites who have been doxxed and, and kind of exposed um, and, and taken down by like a fake, you know, news story um, decide to get revenge. And it was absolutely a, you know, commentary on all the things happening. But uh, when it came out, the actual a couple of weeks after the trailer premiered there was the the el paso shootings happened in which um you know the the guy wrote a manifesto and published it on hn the like same websites that all the movies kind of was talking about and and the the manifesto quoted like trump and quoted like like uh, a lot of fox news personalities and stuff <laughs> and so n- none of that that cohort was very excited about about that and so they immediately pivoted to the oldest pivot in the world which is the the like guns don't kill people you know like it's not it's it's movies that kill people you know and they were like this is one that we can throw to the wolves and be like look at these like liberal elites like ruining everything and they're the ones that are really at fault here um so it was yeah it became a thing that I don't think any of us anticipated it becoming. We knew that it was like, you know, we were like, it's supposed to be a cheeky, uh, the reference was an early Sam Raimi movie. That was like my reference. I was like, I want to make, you know, Evil Dead 2, but like this, you know, so it wasn't supposed to be f- really serious at all. Sure, like, yeah. Not at all right. serious. No yeah. zoom, no 200 millimeter lenses. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. no, exactly. <laughs> there are no 200 millimeter lenses. Yeah, I, I bet there's a lot of uh, 18, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like 18 millimeter close-ups right there. <laughs> For sure. Actually, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek and silly, but but um, then it got kind of like twisted through this like thing. And, and eventually Universal was scared to, to release it at the time, which was a shame because I actually think that more people would have been curious to go see it if they just released it when it came out. But I understand. I mean, there was there was like legitimate concern that people would like go to a theme park or something you know like we just didn't know what was going to happen and so yeah it got it, it i ended up you know the subject of death threats and all sorts of crazy things it was very weird and when you see if you've ever seen the movie it's like so not sure yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's really not that movie it's it's, it's funny like, that it's it, evil dead 2 is like the reference point because like it is meant to just be you know 
bonkers. Like like the idea that someone would take it or even that you would be worried that someone would take it seriously as like an indictment on things. Not that it doesn't have something to say, but like it's supposed to be a fun bonkers movie, basically. And so to it must have been a real surprise to, like to the, realize the, like the movie within the realms of what it was it, i feel like kind of speaks for itself and it is but like people were able to kind of frame it in a way before anybody knew what it was troublesome and hard <laughs> but uh but it was it, i'm like i said i i still i feel like i st- i can't wait for people to see that movie stand by the movie yeah, yeah it did well it, it kind of found an audience like when it was ultimately released on vod it kind of was in like the middle of the pandemic so so i have a careerist sort of question actually because we were joking a little bit earlier about like oh you did this crazy movie and then you did you know an hbo prestige drama like i guess how do you feel like the, do you have any wisdom in how you were able to kind of like jump back and forth between things like that was it you know, like how uh, how have you done it, Craig? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I guess it didn't. Uh, nothing about Maravistan felt out of the pocket for me. It actually, I found that to be exciting to get to like do do drama, and and, and I got to see like in understanding like what Kate wanted to do. Kate Winslet wanted to do in in. Mary Town, I was like, oh, well, I've never seen her do that before. And I've never seen that character quite before. Like, that's a new thing. So I was like, this is, if we just chase that, if we just chase, like, trying to make sure that, like, we, like, capture, like, you know, this, like, very 2021 person that I know exists, you know, like, I know her, she, I know her, you know, um, and we try to, like, tell that story, then then we're fine, you know, so it, it, I guess it wasn't, uh, no, how did I get the opportunity to do that? It literally came from just having worked with mm-hmm. HBO before. And- yeah, I suppose that the, the real blip is Hunt, really, right? Like, you know, you've got, like, this great career with HBO, you've been working with them for a long time, all of that, so I think it Hunt is probably the the curveball in, in terms but of But I guess in my or... mind it feels like an outgrowth of working with HBO cuz it was Damon Lindelof and and the leftovers that like introduced me to the idea. So yeah, I guess it's the curveball. I I mean it, it 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 was also it was fun to flex a different muscle and just get to be like try to actively change your style, you know? Like my my last question about Mare is like directing Kate Winslet who, you know, it's like an Oscar winner, right? Titanic, many things. Yeah. Uh, I was like, getting, so the it, reader too. I keep thinking the of the reader. The reader is what she won for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then obviously you did, you know, in Z for Zachariah, it's like three, three kind of known actors. Um, like, how is it directing that someone like Kate, where, especially when it's a TV show and it's not a movie that you wrote, um, like, how much do you tell her what to do, <laughs> you know, on set? Uh, you know, if I feel like she's off the, it's, I, I've said this before in like other interviews and things like, I really do think there is some level that like the job of directing actor is like kind of like being the first base coach in a way where you're just like, I just think that you, you get the best stuff out of people by being an encouraging voice. That's like, I like this. Let's keep going that direction because that's really interesting to me. And I haven't seen that. And like cultivating like your brain enough to be able to know and to be able to quickly say like, I like this. I don't like that. 
you know um so i certainly feel like i directed her <laughs> right right <laughs> no I, I, I didn't mean that and yeah no, I didn't no, mean no. That it's any... a good question i mean it's a question that it feels intimidating i think to a lot of people but you also have to just kind of walk into those kind of situations and be like well they are people they like you know wake up in the morning and drink coffee and you know, right. And our self-conscious too, uh, maybe just, at some point. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you, yeah. with her, do you do different versions too? Do you like, let's oh, do yeah. like the more suspicious, the less suspicious, like, you oh know. Oh my God, we did so many versions. It was so great. I mean, it was just like more, you know, like more grumpy. Like, more, yeah, like we, we would like, we would run the gamut of like, maybe there's a, yeah, that's literally what we would call it. I, I, I also like, especially with TV, feel like it's really important to kind of like, instead of looking for the perfect performance that's the way that I read it in my brain when I read the screenplay, it's just important to like have people try stuff with different intentions where it's like, okay, now try it as if, you know, they're not going to give you the answer or like now try it, you know, as if like they're your mom and like you're kind of scared to tell them that this, like looking for like variations in like intent um with the lines because especially with something like a like a murder mystery like this it's like you end up in a place where you're like we actually need this person to be on the back foot there and not really confident or you know what i mean something mm-hmm. like that yeah you're kind of you're tuning the again the suspense of it all the mystery like where people are and what they've picked up on and then the edit the room edit. you yeah. can use either one of those you right. know right yeah yeah there's this sequence with kate winslet and this character tony where you don't know she's like scared of him or just like dismissive of him. And I, I, I really like that sequence too, because it, I can't imagine like if I was directing it, like, Oh, maybe, I mean, it, it's, it feels very scary, but she doesn't feel very scared, you know? And like, maybe I would be too chicken to not play like that exact. Well, emotion, we probably have know? the other version of it in the edit base. You know what I mean? Like this was the most interesting one at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, um, that's can, awesome. Follow up on that. How many cameras were you rolling? Two, mostly two. I feel like more than two, it's like a mess. Sometimes like more than two, like you're in each other's shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. And does HBO, do they have opinions on what camera you're using and what lenses and stuff? No, uh, not that I know of. Uh, I mean, there's a certain resolution you're supposed to be and stuff. Um, Netflix had opinions on that, I think. What did you guys shoot on? We shot this on the Alexa, the the big format alexa oh the LF. fine yeah um actually on that final question we talked a lot about the naturalistic lighting right and i i was trying to tell like oh like how much is really present there right if you're shooting two cameras are you lit 360 is it is it sometimes a, no yeah we're, lit, we're really live for the a camera and then the b camera like squeezes in in a way that doesn't mess up the lighting for the yeah gotcha <laughs> yeah i like that though yeah sometimes yeah. they call that one and a half cameras yeah you know it's like there's like one good one and then like you know get their hands or something you know <laughs> right but yeah, sometimes yeah. like it's like a good second shot you know i mean the one thing that i did find to be like really fun and interesting about covid uh that i hope to continue forward was that one of my big rules in shooting during COVID was like, I was like, well, we can't have, I like dollying and I have a lot of dollies in my stuff. And, and I, I was like, we can't have two cameras and two operators and two dolly grips, you know, there. Cause that's like too many people. Like 
less than six feet away from each other. Like that's going to be messy. So I sort of forced us into a, a, a shooting all the time with two remote heads to the chagrin. I think of the operators at times they were frustrated, but I, I felt like that was the safe thing to do. So you still have a dolly grip, but the, but the camera is on the remote and the, and the, and the, and the, and the operators, the operator's using a you know operator's in head. LA and you're shooting in like yeah it's <laughs> like a it's, it's like a drone operator or, or it's in like VR yeah 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 that's cool he's though, at least yeah. like in the corner um which is you know it's not that unusual but it was it, to have two of them on set every day is kind of a thing you know um but what was great about it was that you could actually put two cameras in times that you were, weren't using the doll you could put like you could get the like close up and the over the shoulder shot and actually like be tight enough for those to work because usually there's human beings in the way. So like that one shot is always like really wide and doesn't look as good. <laughs> so it was, I, I was like, this is brilliant. We have so you could stack, but still get as much operating out of it as you wanted. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's why I always hire incredibly skinny B cam. <laughs> yeah. Small and skinny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe Operators. tall too. It was good. Yeah, true. Yeah, tall and yeah, one yeah. tall and one small. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like a cartoon duo of of camera operators. Yeah, Laurel and Hardy. Um, well, awesome. Uh, one last thing I want to say is that I'm a huge fan of the International Assassin episode you did of The Leftovers. Ah. One of the best episodes of TV that I, for me personally, that I've ever seen. So thanks for thanks for doing that. Well, <laughs> Craig, we could uh, continue to talk to you genuinely for hours and hours but uh we should probably wrap it up but before we do do you have time to hang out and uh, uh endorse with us oh sure unpaid endorsements well i will kick it off with uh on a, the previous episode i i mentioned to oren that i keep a list of um of uh, potential endorsements because you know i always end up grasping at straws and i only had one last time and it just said the box and I was like, I have no idea what this is. I, I don't know what I what this note reference is. I asked my wife. She reminded me. So the box is what we've invented for uh, movie viewing during COVID with our sister and with my sister in law. Basically, we have a box with like all of the different movies that would have been released theatrically, but that haven't been. You know, they're like on VOD or Netflix or whatever. So it's kind of all the big movies that are out. Like uh, the name of a movie the name written of the on movies. a piece of paper? Written on a piece of paper, just in a box. And each of us takes one, right? And then, you know, then we kind of decide which is the movie we're going to watch. And what it what's nice about it, we can veto it. You know, we have a choice of three different movies. So typically we'll find one that we want to watch. But it feels sort of like you're going to the movie theater. Wow. It kind of replicates. So it's like, oh, the Snyder cut. It's already yeah, 10 yeah. p.m. We can watch <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what the veto is for, for sure. <laughs> but like, you know, it's a way of being able to say like, okay, we're, we're staying current. But, um, but oh, it's Friday night. We're just going to go to the movies and just see what's, what's what, what's playing basically. Um, and has actually genuinely been really fun. And more, more times than not, we end up watching a movie that we're like, we probably wouldn't have been at the top of all three of our lists. Um, but we ended up really liking, actually, and it's really fun. So, so that's my recommendation: is replicating the inconvenience of movie screening times in in the comfort of your home own home with a uh, with your pod. So, so that's my weird endorsement. Uh, <laughs> awesome, Craig. So mine is uh, I well the, the film that I watched this weekend and just thought was like so cool is uh, and I'd seen it before, but. 
I, I would make it my unpaid endorsement is um, is the Silent Partner, which is an old an old movie. It's an old Elliot Gould movie um, from 1979, and it is a very classic bank robbery movie, but it has a, just a really strong, great premise in that it's basically like the bank manager of this bank, uh, played by Elliot Gould, um, that's a bank in the mall, in a shopping mall, recognizes that like somebody is casing the joint and that the, the guy who is the Santa uh, at the Christmas Santa guy at the mall is actually casing the 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 place for a bank robbery so he decides to be ready the day that the bank robbery happens and just puts a little bit of extra money in his own his own briefcase and then the 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 christopher Plummer plays the santa in a very weird role a very weird christopher Plummer performance um and he recognizes that there's more money that was said is has been uh-huh, stolen than right. he actually got like the news is like the the, the thief got 50, away thousand dollars yeah and he's you know, like he, hey, i've got 10 yeah yeah exactly cool. so like then it becomes this like other kind of that's great crime movie that's and great. it's and it's just got like 1970s L.A. Gould, who is one of the coolest dudes. Yeah, yeah, world, so. that's great. That sounds so that's good. So cool. Yeah, I feel like sometimes you hear that like a premise, you know, these premises are like a dime a dozen, you know, like that's not what makes a good movie. And then there's just like a really amazing premise like that, or like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The premise for that is just yeah, so it's like okay, fascinating, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that um, you're like yeah, that's a good movie just from the premise. Um, what was the name one more time? The Silent Partner. Right, the Silent 19, Partner. Right, right. So he, the the bank operator, is the silent partner in this. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's uh, Daryl Duke, who's like a Canadian director, didn't make that many movies. Um, Curtis Hansen wrote it. Oh, who, cool. Before he was a director. Awesome. Yeah. yeah it's very cool. Uh, Mr. Kaplan, what you got, sir? Yeah. Do you guys know about the everything but the bagel seasoning? I think yeah. you, you may have endorsed it before, but that's okay. Guys, I'm double downing on this. <laughs> Doubling down on this. Yeah. <laughs> Not double downing. <laughs> Doubling down. I've turned so many people onto this seasoning. They have it at Trader Joe's, but they now, I think they have it at a lot of different places. Like my mother-in-law in Ohio, she has found it at like Aldi's or something. Yeah, I, I think there are knockoffs of it for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it just like transforms anything you put it on. Well, so let me, uh, so for listeners at home, it's like literally what it sounds like. It's like dried onion, poppy seed, sesame seed, all the stuff that's on everything bagel. But salt. Just, but just yeah. as, as a, its own condiment. What yeah, do you it's put like what's it on? on the outside of an every, everything bagel, except it's without the bagel part. Let me tell you, um, my main use for it is when we order bagels... We'll get like a couple frozen bagels and like sometimes they'll be like, we're out of everything. And I'll be like, it's fine. And then I just put my make my own everything bagel. But I don't know what to put it on otherwise. Well, so that's like the number one thing is you would put you get someone is an idiot and buys like a plain bagel and gives it to you. Uh, You put cream cheese on it. You put everything but the bagel on top of it and it tastes like an everything bagel. But then you can put it on eggs. You can put it like in a tomato soup. I mean, you can just stick it anywhere that you would put salt but you want like a huge blast of flavor and it's um, everything but the bagel. It's like changed, changed my life. Um, And when we run out of it, it's not, it's not pretty in this house. Yeah. Everything but the bagel. Trader Joe's is where I get mine, but you can get yours wherever bagels are not found. Did you try or did you try Jenny's ice cream had everything bagel ice cream as a flavor? 
and they, no, but they I, i'm not into that like they discontinued it it's supposed to be stuff. great it's supposed to be like like a cream cheese sort of base and then like little flavor pieces in there but they've they've stopped making it so i've never yeah. been able to try it i will throw in just one more endorsement about related to jenny's ice cream that i just did this week is if you ever want to send someone a thank you gift and it's not you don't want to send them like a bottle of wine or like a starbucks gift card uh you can send them mail them jenny's ice cream and it arrives in like a this cooler box so i just sent someone like a thank you gift to jenny's ice cream and i think it's like imagine opening your door just like at 3 p.m and there's like five pints of ice cream there it's like i, I don't know how you can wow make someone you're happier. all large with the five pints yeah like that's, yeah boy it's kind of yeah so that that's 19 dollars just for the shipping um oh so you're like well so you, you gotta might as well. do a few yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's um yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't just like send this to like my mom or something. It's someone that I felt like I really had owed a great mm-hmm. debt to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, someone that I had hired a hitman, and he did an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, awesome, the Jennies. <laughs> um, well, cool, Craig. Do you are you on social media? Do you tweet? Do you Instagram? I have a Twitter that I am vaguely active in. I have a very unactive facebook page and uh uh uh, somewhere in the middle instagram page so yeah i'm around at craig zobel with the white twitter is the way to like do it yeah holler at me yeah there you go well thanks man this was so great after you're done following craig if you want to go ahead and follow and uh, after you finished binging the mayor of east town that's right which actually will only come out one episode a week right because that's right so yeah so so okay so don't binge you'll have time consume it If you're catching up on episodes and this episode, you're not listening in real time, go ahead and binge it. But uh, you can keep track of all of our episodes and all the other stuff that's happening on our show by following us on our social media at Just Shoot a Pod across all social networks. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And you can also email us at JustShootAPod at gmail.com if you want to ask us about Craig, what he's like in person. Uh, we'll give you all of the dirt. Uh, you can follow me. I'm on Twitter at SmiteyPileg and on Instagram at OKaplan. Uh, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media manager is Derek Aiello. Our consulting producer is Ali Kornfeld. You're listening to the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And thanks. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>